The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. We have a really unique text in front of us this morning. Really unique text. Um, here at Stone Oak, we preach through books of the Bible. And I know that that is not kind of the norm, um, but here at Stone Oak, we've done this from the beginning. We're going to continue to do this. We love this. We walk through books of the Bible together. We've had the privilege to, of walking through several incredible books already. And by God's grace, we hope to see and walk through many, many more. And we love this. But do you know why we preach this way? I'm so glad you asked. Um, there's a couple reasons, and, and I want to highlight just a few before we get into our text, because I think it, it, it matters, okay? Um, first of all, we preach through books of the Bible because of our belief that this is the Word of God. Straightforward as I can say it. That 2 Timothy 3.16, that all Scripture is God-breathed, is, uh, is, is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, that the man of God may be complete. We believe this, we hold to this, and, and, and we believe that this is sufficient. What I mean by that is that this gives us all we need for life and godliness. This gives us all we need to know the gospel. This gives us all we need to know Jesus and the salvation through by grace, through faith alone, for the glory of God alone. We believe that, we stand on that, and so therefore, we preach that. And um, I hope that we don't come here, I hope you're not here, to hear my opinion about life and politics and life hacks and marriage principles. And I hope that you don't come here to hear my, my opinions. I pray that you're here to hear from the word of God. At Stone Oak, we want to protect that. We, that's why we preach this way. Second, uh, we preach this way because it protects our church. This goes hand in hand. It protects our church from any, I'll call them lopsided agendas that might squeak in. And what I mean by this is, is um, preaching through Scripture this way is a beautiful protection for us as a church from becoming the agenda-driven church, the fill-in-the-blank this church is all about that fill in the blank. It, it protects us as a church from only caring about what I care about. Um, only talking about what I want to talk about each week. God help us if we're left to that. You, we preach this way to protect our church. To protect us from becoming the church of the hot take of the week. Okay, We, we preach this way as a protection. So, so we're committed to preach this way, and, and even though our world gets flipped upside down at times, it does, we remain steady because this is steady. This is steady. This is true. That's the second reason. Third reason, this is the last one I'm giving. I could go on, but the last one I'm giving, and this is really important for our time today, preaching this way gives us a balanced diet. A balanced diet. This morning, this text this morning gives us an excellent example of what I mean when I say balanced diet. Um, if I were to be given the task, just randomly, to preach 
at Stone Oak Bible Church, whatever I want to talk about, whatever text I want to go to, here's the truth. I would have most likely not picked Romans 16, 1 through 16. I'm just not that holy. I wouldn't have done it. I just, I wouldn't have, I, I would have been drawn to other texts. There's a lot of good ones. There's a lot of, I would have, might have passed this one over. But again, what did we say at the beginning? All scripture is God breathed and profitable. We believe that, so we preach this way. And I have to tell you, this week has been incredible. I am um, studying this text, spending time with this text. God has used this text to minister to me this week, and I am so grateful that we are not missing this one. I am grateful we preach this way because we get to spend the time in a text that if you're anything like me, that you might have skipped over. Um, through preaching this way, we get this balanced diet. Old Testament, New Testament. Um, Well-known text, lesser-known text. Um, we get history, narrative, poetry, prophecy. We look at it all, including our text here of Romans 16, 1 through 16. So having said all that, I'm so grateful to be in this text, and I want to read it. I'm going to do my best to not butcher this text. There are so many names, so be gracious to me. Um, but I'm going to read through this text, and, and there's, a, there's a, uh, a principle in preaching that if you're not sure how to pronounce something, you say it confidently, everyone thinks you're right and they're wrong. So I'm going to try to do that, but now you know my, my, uh, my strategy here. So I'm going to read this, and then we're going to we're gonna, um, dig into it and just walk through it a little bit. So verse 1, Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Chintrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epenetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, um, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Statues. I think that might be my favorite. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Least favorite one, probably there. Um, greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet my beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, 
and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus and Julia and Nereus and his sister and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. There it is. In this text, Paul gives a shout out to 28 people. I think I got at least half of those names right, but 28 people that Paul gives a shout out here. And through these shout outs, we're able to see um, a few things about this first century church. We're able to learn a few things about this church, what this church was about, and we're going to see a few things that are going to challenge us a little bit as the modern church, the church in 2022. So here's the way we're going to break this down this morning, just so you know where we're going. Um, I'm going to identify four characteristics that we see in this section of Scripture. And, and we're going to see these four things that God is, is going to call his church to here in this, this text. There are four things that we're going to get to, to see here today. And, and right off the bat, please don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that this early church was perfect and we need to be like them in every way. That is not true. We've seen all through Romans already. They got their hiccups. This church had its warts. We know that. Uh, but what I am saying is that through this, through what Paul is celebrating, what God is doing in this church, there are several things that we can learn from, several things that we must learn from here as the church today. So let's start with the first call this morning from this text. As you look at this list, as you heard me read it, what do you notice? What can you observe? The first thing that I noticed, the first thing I was able to observe here is the diversity in this list. Paul gives us 28 individuals. Uh, 17 of them are men. Nine of them, women. We have a couple of households listed here. We have two couples that are listed here. We have five people who are listed who were slaves in the ancient world. And on the flip side of that, we have two that were, that were listed who were, I mean, at the top of the social ladder, like people of distinction, everyone in, in between. The great majority of these people being Gentiles, but also we have three Jewish brothers listed as well. We have prisoners, we have friends, and we have everyone in between. Diversity on this list. And it's not only that, but uh, there's also a diversity in why these people are listed. What they did. Not everyone are, is on this list for the same reason. We have some who serve the church, who risk their lives for the church. We have some who fellow workers in the church who open their homes for the church. We have some who worked hard in different areas of ministry in this church. We have a mom who rocked it as a mom. She's on here. Rufus's mom, shout out. Um, who is a mother, like a mother to Paul even. We love this, but as we take all of this in, we see the incredible diversity in this list and how countercultural and even counterintuitive that would have been. Paul was not looking, in other words, to build the church on, on those who are at the top of the, the society only, who all looked the same, who all were the same. He wasn't looking to build his church from that the church was never a movement like that. Instead, it was this beautiful and diverse people coming together as brothers and sisters in all of their diversity being united in Jesus. So the first call that we see here is this call to diversity in ministry. 
And I want to make an argument that this is especially difficult for us today. Especially difficult. Not because we're more evil than they were. Not because we are more selfish or more prejudiced than more racist than they were back then. I believe that this is more difficult for us because we have more options than they did. Let me give you an easy example of what I mean. Throughout the book of Romans, we have seen this struggle in Romans of, uh, that this church was having. On the one hand, we had the, the, the Gentile brothers and sisters over here who had very Gentile ways of doing things and customs. And on the other hand, we had the Jewish brothers and sisters over here who had the Torah and all of their very specific ways of doing things. And here's what we would expect, just where we come from. Our, this is what we would have expected. Two churches develop. We would have expected a church split in the ancient first century Rome. In our minds, in our world today, we look back on this and it's hard for us to imagine why and how these church, this church stayed together. We would have expected the church to split and over here it would be a predominantly Jewish church and over here it would be a predominantly Gentile church and people could self-select where they be- wanted to belong. That's what we would have expected. And why would we expect that? Because that is the world we live in. That's our world today. Um, We have churches all over the place. Churches that are all different from each other. And and for all different types of people. Like, do you like sports? Well, then that church is probably for you. you. Do you homeschool your kids? That church. You'd like that church. Uh, do, are, you, are you black? Are you white? Well, let's find a church for you. You, you look at this, and, and what's your music preference? What's your age? We split, and we go to people who are like us. And don't hear me wrong. I love diverse churches. It's one of the reasons I love planting churches. I, I love diversity in our churches. But unfortunately... Although we have a diversity of kinds of churches, we have very little diversity within our churches. We we look, uh, today our norm is to look for people who look like us that we can come together with, who dress like us, who think like us, who value what we value, who are in roughly the same socioeconomic status as we are, and we come together with people who share our same preferences. And if we start to bump heads with a little bit of nasty diversity, unfortunately, in our modern culture, we have the option to leave and go somewhere else. They didn't have this option in the first century. And I would argue that's a good thing. Here's, here's what happened, the way, I, the way I can kind of put this together. In the ancient church, they did not have a diversity of kinds of churches, but they had diversity within their church. Us today, we have a diversity of kinds of churches, but we lack diversity within. We lack diversity within. And 
although I love to see a diversity of kinds of churches planted and started, there is something crucial for us to rub shoulders with, share a table with people who are different than you. Diversity is something that we should stand for, fight for. It's something worthy of fighting for because of the gospel. It's a diversity within the gospel. And, and I do want to add one small caveat to this. I am not talking about the coexist junk at all, okay? Not talking about that kind of unity. Um, not all unity is God-honoring. And if you want a great example of this, you don't have to turn with me here, but um, if you remember what happened in Genesis 11, in Genesis 11 was this quirky story of the Tower of Babel. You remember what happened with Babel? There's a lot of unity. They were coming together. They were rocking it in unity. They were building. They were, they were, they were uniting together, and yet the Lord looks down on them and, ugh, they were uniting together in their own selfishness to make a name for themselves and forgetting their God. And in Genesis 11, God looks down on all of that unity and breaks it up. Brings a little diversity in language to the, to the picture. Not all unity is a good thing. We're called to unity, yes, but it matters around what we are united, and, and our call to be, is to be united in Christ in all of our diversity. And this text is a beautiful example of that kind of diversity in ministry, in the church. We see a diversity in leadership, service. We see a diversity in community. Diversity should be one of the markers of the church. That's the first call. I do want to move to our second and um, the second call that we see here in this text is a call to everyday ministry. That's what I want to call it. Um, honestly, this has been what has, where I've spent the majority of my week this week in study. And this has really hit me. Because when I think of the early church, I mean, honestly, think of the early church with me. Who do you think about? You think about Paul, the Apostle Paul. You, you think... He's the equivalent of the celebrity pastor, the explosive church planter. That's Paul. We think about Paul. Now, you might have heard about Phoebe, maybe. Maybe you've heard about Priscilla and Aquila. But you know who I do not think about? When I think about the early church, Epinetus, I don't think about Epinetus, or Mary, um, or Adronicus, or Junia, or Ampliatus, or Urbanus, or Stachys, or Apelles, or any of the family of Aristobulus. I don't think about them. Do you? I don't think about Herodian or the family of Narcissus, certainly. I don't think about Triophana or Triophosa, Persis, Rufus, or Rufus's mom. I don't think about them. I don't think about a Syncritus or Phlegon or Hermes or Patrobus or Hermas or Philogus or Julia or Nereus or his sister or even Olympus. I don't think about them. Church, these brothers and sisters listed here and the many, 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 many more like them 
are the ones doing the work of the early church. I am grateful for Paul and the way God called and used Paul. Absolutely. But the church would not be what it is then or what it is today without these saints and the saints like them who you do not know their name or how to say their name. It is the common, everyday ministry that made up this early church. God is not looking for the famous to build his church with the rock stars. He is looking for the everyday ministers of the gospel. Everyday ministers. And the truth is, I'm going to pop your bubbles here. Chances are you're not going to be famous. Let's just get that out. (laughs) Chances are you're not going to make any kind of name for yourself that the world's going to know your name because of your ministry. Yet, your ministry, our ministry, is vitally important. Vitally important. I would argue the most important ministry of the church is the everyday ministry of the church. The church would not be the church without the everyday ministry of the saints in the church. One way to think about this is um, I guarantee that Fliegen, our man in verse 14, Good old Fleegan. I guarantee that he would have had no idea, no idea that his faithful commitment to everyday ministry would be the subject of a church in 2022 in San Antonio, Texas. That we would be here talking about. Fleegan would have no idea of the impact of his everyday ministry. Or how about Rufus's mom? I love this. I love this because Rufus's mom gets this shout out in scripture, a sacred shout out. She gets this for being and doing the everyday ministry of being a faithful, awesome mother. That's what she gets the call out for. And it's not just that. Because she was one of those women who just like spilled over her mothering on everyone she was around. I love this. It takes a village. And Rufus's mom gets it. She cares for her kids and she cares for the church. And she is committed to everyday ministry. And it's a ministry that would never earn her the national spotlight. And again, I will say, neither will your ministry. It will not. Yet her ministry held up this church. The church's story, both the ancient church and the modern church, is the story of everyday ministry of the Fleegans and the Rufuses and the Rufuses' mothers. That's the story of the church, the story of his church. This is not a path to fame or recognition. God forgive us if it ever becomes that. This is not a path to make a name for ourselves. For Paul, these 28 individuals played a large part in his life. They cared for him, discipled him, loved him, served him, served with him. They were the everyday ministers ministers that impacted Paul's life. And so from this, I have two questions that 
I want to ask, and I want you to really think about this, um, two questions from this. First, who makes up your list? Who are the everyday ministers of the gospel that fill up your list? Who make up your list? Who cared for you in the faith, discipled you, loved you, served you, served with you? Who are the names? What are the names that fill up your list? And have you, church, thanked them lately? Because here's the real reality. Everyday ministry is often a thankless ministry because it's every day. What if we thank them? What if you thank them? What if you let them know the impact that they had on your life and faith? Who is it that makes up your list? Question number one. Question number two from that, I wonder whose list you might be on. I wonder. Who have you cared for in the faith? Loved, disciples, served, served alongside. Who has your everyday ministry impacted? And, and I want you to know that you have no idea the impact that your life and ministry has had. This side of heaven, you do not know. You cannot know. Uh, you, 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 you don't, your ministry has, has touched more than you can, than you know. But what a humbling question to think through. What list, whose list have, am I on? Because listen, God is not looking for rock stars. He's not looking for celebrities. He's looking for faithful servants. Faithful servants. And, and I, I want to push this one more time. The world will probably never know your name, but by the grace of God, through everyday ministry, they will know his. Shine the spotlight on the one worthy. That is the beauty of everyday ministry. Everyday ministers. The church needs you. God has a plan for you. And this text is such a call to the everyday mundane Gospel ministers. I love, love, love that. Third, third call. A call to a kingdom mindset. A call to a kingdom mindset. This one's so important. In um, the very last thing Paul says in verse 16b, it says, all the churches of Christ greet you. This struck me. How many times Paul uses the word greet? It's like on repeat. I should have counted. I didn't, but you can count. They're everywhere. In this, in this text. Um, greet, 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 greet. And all of these churches here are sending greetings to each other. And as, we, as you look at this verse and, and as you study a little bit of the context here, these greetings were probably coming from people um, with Paul who are about to leave on a journey to Jerusalem. And we see it in Acts 20. Don't need to turn with me here. But the point that I'm, that I'm seeing here as I've studied this is that this group of people, these brothers and sisters, these churches would represent Macedonia, Achaia, churches in Asia Minor, the Galatians. All these people would be represented. And so what we see here is Paul so clearly working so hard to increase the unity of the body of Christ in, this, in, this, in the ancient world. And there is this deep connection here between these ancient churches and communities with each other. And in all, of these, in all of these greetings, we're able to see a kingdom mindset rather than a kingdom mindset. And here's what I mean by that. 
we're able to see, there's a huge difference between a big K kingdom mindset and a little K kingdom mindset. Very, very different between these two things. See, a little K, little K, little kingdom mindset is preoccupied with only what is happening in our life, in our ministries, in our walls, our name, our brand. It, it, it's, it's all kind of territorial. It leads us to celebrate our wins really hard, and it leads us to get jealous or often even to just ignore the wins of others because it's our kingdom, little K, little K. Big K kingdom is completely different than that. Big K kingdom is more, mindset is more concerned about the spread of the kingdom of God over the kingdom of any particular kingdom that we may have with a little K. More concerned. With, now, this doesn't mean that we don't love and belong to our local church. It's just that we understand that we are also part of something so much bigger than ourselves, and we are a part of the big K kingdom. It's that we understand our place within the kingdom. And this means that you are called to belong to your local church and that we together are called to belong to the global church. I have a great example of this, and it's a, it's a story that I heard from a pastor so many years ago, and it has absolutely stuck with me. This pastor is a gifted, gifted pastor. Um, one of the most gifted pastors that I've ever, I've ever seen. A gifted preacher, prolific church planter, and, and he felt this call, this heavy call on his heart to see his community, there where he is, impacted for the gospel. Like He felt this call, and, and it was this call to kind of revival, and God gave him this, like, this big vision that he couldn't sleep of a community coming to know Jesus. It was incredible, and so he did what any good pastor would do, and he called his church to prayer for this, that his community more in their community, we come to know Jesus, and the gospel would spread, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and one evening, as elders, they were praying for this. They were praying that God would bring revival, and that God would change their community through the gospel. They were praying, and right there in the midst of that time of prayer, God absolutely convicted his heart, just stopped him in his tracks. They were praying for revival, revival, more, come to know Jesus. And in that moment, he felt God ask him, would you, pastor, pray this fervently and pray with this much passion and commitment if I were to answer your prayer and only choose not to use you to play any part in my accomplishing of it? Would you pray this fervently? Would you still pray this consistently and passionately if I were to choose to use the church across the street to do what you're praying for in your community? And it just, it stopped him that moment. He, his prayers of revival suddenly turned into prayers of repentance. I love that. I love that. And in this moment, he was convicted in his heart that Little K kingdom mindset had crept in over the big K kingdom. And so they brought them, themselves in repentance, he and his elders, and they began to pray more open-handed prayers for the kingdom. 
You got to ask here at Stone Oak, are, are, do we rejoice in what God is doing outside of our walls as we do with what God is doing inside of our walls? Do we bear with and pray for, for other churches? Do we even know their, their needs? Do we pray for them as we pray for ourselves? Hear me, I, I, I'm not saying that we, that we need to stop caring uh, about our church and not saying that you're not called to belong to any local church. You just need to think, I'm not saying that. But as we see in this letter, there is this genuine care and connection and commitment for the sisters and brothers from other communities and other churches. I think we can learn a lot from this. Learn a lot from this. Um, how often... Do we send today, as a church, do we send words of greeting and encouragement to other churches? Why does that seem so out of, like, the norm? It seems very normal for the early church, but why does it seem so crazy for us today? How often do we pray for, pray with other churches? Do we know them? Um, honestly, uh, just this is why this text has hit me so hard. I think a lot of this comes, it needs to start with me. It needs to start with our pastors, that we would know each other, that we would partner together on mission, that we would plant churches together and support churches being planted together, that we would encourage one another, bear with each other's burdens. Listen, loneliness, I don't know if you know this, is huge among pastors. And you hear that and you're like, well, why? They're always with people. No, pastors are among the loneliest people on the planet. And is there any wonder why? Because if... Our pastors are feeling either threatened by or in comparison with other pastors in their life. They don't have brothers in arms together. They have competitors. That's lonely. We have to stop this. But it doesn't just start, start and stop with me. It needs to come from all of us as a congregation. How do we talk about our church? How do we talk about other churches? How, how do we, what do we celebrate in our church? Are we, are we more excited about the little K or big K kingdom movement? Do we understand that we're an important part of something so much bigger than ourselves? I love the connectedness that we see in this church in the era before a phone, internet, and social media. I love it. And, and, and I believe it gives us a great call today for a kingdom mindset. I want to bring out one more thing briefly here. One more call. Something so simple. It's going to make you uncomfortable. Text gives us a call to show our affection for each other. In that last verse in 16, I read B. Let's start with 16A. It says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Holy kiss. Now, I know that there are several people here who, who still greet people that you love with a, with a little kiss, a little smoochie. I get it. In fact, we had a, uh, a preaching meeting this week, and, and in that meeting, someone um, shared that, that this is still how they greet in, in her culture, and her family, how they greet each other. It's with this kiss, and it's a sign of affection and love. So some of you, this makes perfect sense. Others of you, though, I know not so much. <laughs> You're not about the holy kiss. I get it. Um, I, I know that. For some of you, you might be huggers, full-blown huggers, little side huggers.
For some of you, it's a fist bump, shake hands, high five. I get it. Um, Listen, we don't know um, why Paul includes this little holy kiss here. Was the church just not doing it, or were they doing it, and it was great, and he wanted to encourage it? We don't know. But what we do know is Paul encourages them to greet each other with a holy kiss, this call to show proper, good, godly affection to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul is describing the love that we should feel in the church. That we would be a people who love each other, a people who Jesus describes in John 13 when he says, a new commandment I give you to love one another as I have loved you, you love each other. And by this, that is your love for each other, the world will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. That we would greet each other in that love. Um, that we would demonstrate that. A commentator compiled, I, I thought this was really helpful, a few ways that this holy kiss language has been translated uh, depending on the context. We have the British version, J.B. Phillips, British theologian. He translates this encouragement to kiss as give one another a hearty handshake all around for my sake. (laughs) I'm not British, but apparently that's the British version of, of this. Eugene Peterson says, holy embraces all around. The commentator, Ken Boa, makes the comment, whether you're rubbing noses in Eskimo land... Um, or elbows in the jungle. Affectionate greetings are appropriate and encouraged in the church. In other words, it's about showing our love for one another to one another in a way that is beautiful, in a way that demonstrates the love of Jesus. That's what Paul is pointing to. So it's maybe not holy kisses for everyone. Okay, don't hear me say that. Um, I was really tempted to have everyone stand up and say, you know, give each other holy kisses. But then none of you would be back. Well, some of you would, but most of you wouldn't. But it is a call to show good and proper and affection to one another as the church's brothers and sisters. So as we zoom out and as we take this text this morning, this interesting and wonderful text this morning as a whole, we get this beautiful picture of the church and a beautiful call for us as the church. We, we see the incredible and beautiful diversity in Christ, the diversity of works and gifts, men and women, rich, poor, racial diversity. It's all there, all here in Christ, in the church. We also get this, see this call, the beauty of everyday gospel ministry, everyday ministers of, of the gospel that God uses, not only the ones who are famous, but uses ordinary saints to do extraordinary things. Three, we see the power of the work of God in his church that's bigger than ourselves here at Stone Oak Bible Church, but also a work that we're called to be a part of. Praise God for that. And finally, we see the beauty of our connectedness and affection for each other in the gospel that demonstrates the love of Christ in his bride. And what a beautiful picture, beautiful call that we get. Now, God, would you help us live that out? Amen? Amen.